You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. It's good to be here this Labor Day weekend, and um, I'm just really loving this series. Um, You can follow along with sermon notes on the Bible app there and kind of check that out. We also have a app app, okay, Um, in the Google uh, app or in the app store right now. So you can check that too. And uh, we just really uh, love the fact that um, Wyatt just put a lot of work into that and created something really cool. So um, before we begin, let's pray, okay? Lord God, this day, um, we are just amazed again at your mercies being new. Um, Mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace in our lives. And and because of that, it's just the natural outflow that we um, come to you this day. We are gathered here this day. There are a lot of other places we could have been, but there's no better place than to be gathered with your people here this morning. We pray, Lord God, that for everyone here, you would uh, truly touch their lives today with your amazing mercy in such a way that we are transformed and changed. We thank you, Lord, for the many churches in our community that we are um, not alone by any means, Lord, that you have us with them in one holy church together, one Christian church that confesses your name, Lord Jesus. And we pray that your blessings would be upon them from summit to legacy to hope to Zion to um, Estero, United Methodist, Lord, to Grace Presbyterian. We thank you for them all and pray that your gospel word has its way with us, all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before we go any farther, I want to share uh, one other thing that I think is really cool. Since we're having our student gatherings, Thrive FGCU, here, um, we are now um, having, we get free space for our RSO once a week. And so on Thursdays now at 12 noon, we're going to start this Thursday what's called Thrive U. Um, I, I will be teaching a class on the campus in Merwin Hall, room 203. Okay, and it's going to be basically starting, it's, I'm calling it the mission of God. It's a class that starts with Genesis 1-1, and we will go all the way through the entire narrative of the Bible in like 10 weeks, maybe a few more, okay? So <laughs> it's going to be a quick turbocharged kind of class, but um, there'll be notes. I think I'm going to do it where you're going to be able to get on the Bible app too and kind of get the illustrations and notes, etc. But I think it's going to be really, most people get a snippet here and a snippet there, and they get this story and that story, and then it's like, how does it all fit together, and how does it make sense, okay? So I've taught, um, actually, an old, I taught Old Testament um, one semester up when I was at UF, kind of as a satellite campus for a Christian college, and so um, it's kind of fun to do, okay? Watch out. You get me in my element, and it's kind of scary. So it'll go from 12 until 1, um, and I think um, it can be any... Now, fine parking on campus is going to be fun, but so if you are not a college student, to try to find a spot... You can get a visitor's pass for free, you know, um, but to try to find a spot, it might take you a while. So if you're planning on coming, get there a little early, okay, because it's not going to happen like, oh, I'll just find a spot and walk to class. I have students coming to my leadership course late just because it's like the lots are full right now. Any students notice that? 
Yes, it's like hard to get anywhere on campus right now. We need some of you all to drop out. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. It's great to have such a busy campus. I know. When I started campus ministry at LSU, boy, I, I shouldn't get off the subject too much, but it was interesting because by the second semester, the freshman lots were basically half empty. So thankfully here, that doesn't happen. Okay, let's get to our text now. We're going to be studying, we're in our third week of the Live It Up series because we see this from Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, how the church really did live it up as they lived together, as they reached out together, as they served together, as they were filled up together. And this week we're going to be speaking about offer up. Offer up yourselves to God. And this comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So uh, let's read this together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what do we have here? I think Paul, who wrote this letter to the Romans before he actually came and visited them, kind of as an introductory letter, he takes the last, uh, the first 11 chapters of the book, which are amazing amazingly complex, but amazing grace upon grace upon grace, and, he, and uh, just amazing teaching. He sums them up, and this is the turning point of the letter, with a therefore, and he's basically giving us Christianity, the Christian life, in a nutshell, okay? Everything's here in this verse, in a sense. If you get this verse, you've got like the little acorn that turns into the amazing oak tree. It's all there, all tightly wound together. And so we're going to learn what it means and what's going on and what the Christian life is like, what's different about it than anything else, and what's also just amazingly, um, mysteriously, what an adventure we're on, okay? So three points, I'm not listing one, two, three, but A, B, C. Three points we're going to learn from this passage. The essence of the Christian life, A. B, the power for the Christian life. And C, aspects of that Christian life and what it means. But first, we're going with A, the essence. So Paul uses in this passage a most striking phrase that I don't think it's used anywhere else, but I think it's similar to other passages in the Bible, and we'll show that to you. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay? Fascinating. Okay? That's what he says is worship. Worship is offering yourself as a living sacrifice. And you might say today, well, I thought I was coming to worship, that I'm coming to church, and I do this for an hour, a little song, maybe a little dance, a little prayer, a couple bucks in the plate. I've worshiped. I'm done. And Paul is saying, no, it's not. Worship is not entertainment, by the way. Um, It may be entertaining, but it's not. And it's not just an hour here and there. And you don't go to church. You are the church. Okay? But living sacrifice is what he says it is. Now, what does that mean? What is a living sacrifice? It's weirder than you think. Okay. The Hebrew or the Greek word for sacrifice is thusia. 
okay? And when he used this word, he used this zoethusia, okay, the word for living, sacrifice, together. Everyone in the Roman world that he wrote to in Rome and everyone in the Greek world that was around the Roman Empire, and even all those who are from the Jewish world would understand what this word means, which we do not often understand what sacrifice is. They would know it right away because they had seen it. They'd seen thusias all the time at a temple, at a cult, a cultic site. They'd come and some animal would be ritually, I know it's kind of gross, it's really, but ritually slain for the sake of whoever came there. And so the word always means a killing. So Paul is saying to us today, offer yourselves to God as a living killing. You see how weird that is? It's oxymoronic. It's a contradiction in terms. And so what does that really mean? Because they would understand what a thusia was, but what's a living thusia, a living killing? That doesn't make any sense to them. And so they go like, hmm, what is Paul getting at? And so we need to see today that this metaphor that he uses, this reality, actually is so profound and amazing. It kind of sums up what you and I, what we do, what worship is, what our life is. This is our response to offer up ourselves as a living killing. So in some ways, it's the same as any other sacrifice, and in a lot of ways, it's different. So first of all, we're going to talk about two ways it's different, okay? Number one. The old sacrifices were bloody. Now, I almost was going to put a picture up behind this of what a sacrifice looked like, but I remember when I was a child and I'd go to the farm at my grandparents' house and help grab the chickens. Anybody ever do that? Okay, I kind of liked it. Maybe I was a real sadistic kid, but you grab the chicken and then you take it and my grandpa would hang it on the cherry tree behind his house and then you'd get the knife out and then you'd stand back. It is just kind of gross. And that's just a chicken, you know? I never went to see them butcher the hogs because I really want to believe that when I go to the grocery store that that, you know, chicken breast... Boneless, skinless chicken breast came from a boneless, skinless chicken farm somewhere that was just brought out of a test tube somewhere, and there was nothing. But the reality is, a thusion was always bloody, and it was kind of gross. But there's a reason for it. There was a gap between us and God. In one form or another, there is an appeasement that had to be made. There was something that needed to bridge the gap. And this sacrifice took the place of me being on that altar. Okay? And God offer, and we offered that and blood was spilled. This is the way the Old Testament speaks about it in the book of Leviticus. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Have you ever heard, many, any of you donate blood, right? And it's give the gift of life, because we even know today if blood is poured out, too much blood is poured out, you lose your life, okay? And in this way, Athusian was saying, a life needs to be offered for my life to ransom, to make atonement, to bring me back together from this gap, okay? 
Now, that was the case for all Thusian, but what's a living Thusian? And why is this different? Because there was one, you know, these were given again and again. You know, you had to go every month, every year, and offer some animal, and it was good. You were done with it, you know, two hours later, you were done. Everything happened. You go back home. You didn't have to think about it for another, you know, six months, a year, or whatever, but you'd have to go back again and again. And the New Testament says they were always pointing to something. They were always pointing forward. And the book of Hebrews puts it this way about Jesus, because he offered his life once for all. So in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he talks about that at the end. And notice the last verse, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Paul realized that in the first chapters of Romans, he talks about how Jesus Christ offered his life once for all for the sins of many while we were still sinners. He does this while, and he becomes the one all, complete sacrifice. Never again does there need to be a thusion, a dying thusion, because that has already been taken care of. So whatever Paul is saying now about a zoane thusion, a living thusion, it doesn't mean that you have to pay for your sins by offering yourself to God. It's not like, okay, God, I'm going to offer my life to you so that you'll forgive me. No, that doesn't work that way. Okay, God, I'm going to do this so that I get your favor. No, you don't procure God's favor. You already have God's favor. You do not receive more blessings. You already have God's blessings. You are not going to get accepted because you do this, that, and the other thing. You already receive and have been accepted because of Jesus Christ. Okay? So... And that is, we're going to get to this later, that's the power. That power that we've already been accepted, that we've already been received, that the sacrifice was made, that powers us to live the Christian life in response. We get to. We'll get to that later. Second reason why it's different is, like I mentioned before, though it happens again and again, the uh, Old Testament sacrifices were over once you offered it. You know, it's dead, it's done, it's gone, we're done, we go home. But a living sacrifice is ongoing, continual. That's what uh, old preacher, this is an old joke, you might not laugh at it. Preachers always say, yeah, that's the problem with living sacrifices. They always try to crawl off the altar. <laughs> Gotta kill them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> That's awful, isn't it? <laughs> I know. But that's the idea. It's not a one-time deal. It is an ongoing thing. So that's what's different. Now, but then why did Paul use the word thusion in the first place if everybody knows it means killing? Well, because something's going to die. And we are talking about that today. Something does die. And this is where we get to the most profound and probably counterintuitive or countercultural in-your-face aspect about what it means to live as a Christian. You see, you're not living the Christian life unless you put to death the idea that you have the right to choose as you live. I can't believe I just said that in the United States of America. 
because we are one of the, in all of history, one of the cultures that is most antithetical to this point. And you might say, wait a minute, we have the freedom of religion in the United States. Yeah, well, it's more the freedom to choose whatever I want to believe, however I want to believe it, in what way I want to do it, and you can't tell me what to do. That's not quite what the Bible talks about the freedom of the gospel, nor does it really get to the point. You see, the Christian life says, I give up. I take the hands off my life. My response is, it's not my life to choose anymore. What I do with it, God, it's yours. You don't belong to you. I know that sounds kind of weird. I remember being out in California um, when I was a pastor there. um, And across the street, we bought a um, video camera one of those first digital video cameras, not, not the giant ones, but one about like this size, you know, with the little digital video tapes. And I still have all of those, and we haven't done anything with them. Um, but they were kind of cool. So I gave it to my youth group, and there was a high school across the street, Mount Whitney High School for um, the highest mountain in California. Um, and I said, hey, go over there, because we're doing a project, and the youth taped different Uh, high school students and asked this one question, to whom do you belong? And most of the college students or high school students looked at me or at the video camera, to whom do you belong? And they said, huh? (laughs) Doesn't make sense. Some people said, oh, well, I guess I belong to my parents. They weren't real happy with that, but being minors, they thought that was the case. Others just said, I don't belong to anyone. But there was something kind of odd about that, too, and some said, I belong to myself, which is kind of an odd way to say it, too. One student out of like 200 or so, or 200, not 220, sorry, wrong numbers. Let's not inflate too much. Um, About 20 students, one out of 20 said, I belong to Jesus Christ. She got the question. And it really comes down to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Fascinating, isn't it? You're not your own. When we say at Thrive, you belong, we really mean it. You belong here but you belong to God. You have someone who belongs to you, and you belong with us to God, and that makes all the difference in the world. You're not your own. You don't get to choose whatever way you want to live, and you put to death, in a sense, when you offer yourself up to God, you're putting to death the idea that I am in control of my life, and I'm going to do as I blankety-blank well please with it, and God, you just follow along after me. And I'll tell you, as you offer yourself to God that way, it does feel like a death. It is a death. But on the other side of it is life. Jesus said it this way. It's not like this started with Paul. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Get it? 
Dr. Uh, John Gerstner, I guess, I read about this, I heard about this illustration. He's a preacher, he was a, hist a church historian from the 1940s and 50s, I believe, and I can't remember where in the United States. But he was in front of a large college gathering, uh, and he was preaching in the 1940s, and he used an illustration of a of a young woman, well, she was a teenager at the time that she started this journey. She went to a conference, a youth conference. You go to youth camp, you go to conferences, you hear all the speakers, and in the emotionality of the moment, she said to, to, to God, Lord, you have my life. I take my hands off my life. It's all yours. I am going to follow you and become a missionary and I'm going to give my life over to mission work in Asia. This was in the 1930s, which is fascinating that she was willing to do that because in the 1930s and 40s, if you look at mission agencies and what happened in Asia, Southeast Asia, a lot of missionaries were put to death going out in the middle of nowhere trying to speak to different groups. And so she was offering herself up to God, Dr. Gerstner said. Now, so instead of like most youth that go to these things, and I know I probably did it too, you know, uh, she didn't like, oh, in the spur of the moment, say it, and later on it fade away. She kept it up. In fact, she did her research. She looked into it. She called up mission agencies. She was trying to find out what it would take for her to be able to do this. And what she found out in the 1930s, and you might disagree with it, but this was true of every mission agency she talked about is, they would not send a single woman overseas. You had to be married. Okay? That makes some sense. I mean, considering your cross-cultural everything else. So she said to God when she found that out, okay, Lord God, I give my life to you. I take hands off of my life. It's all yours. One thing I need from you. <laughs> a husband. She went to Bible college. She started studying, becoming a missionary. And after four years of college, no husband, no prospects, not even a boyfriend. <laughs> after four years, she went to graduate school then because she thought, okay, Lord, now I've got two years of graduate school learning linguistics and cultural anthropology and all this stuff. And at the end of the two years, she comes to the night before her graduation day, and there is not a prospect, a husband, a possibility anywhere around, and she's sitting in her dorm room, and she is totally upset with God. She cries out to say, to him and says, how could you do this to me, God? I gave my life to you. I sacrifice. I have no other prospects. I've spent a huge portion of my life trying to follow you and do this for you. And now what? And then she realized for the first time, she wasn't miserable and angry because she had let go and taken her hands off of her life. She realized for the first time she had never let gone, go of her life. She had been in control from the beginning, and she had all decided what a noble life was going to look like and how it was going to be done. And she, instead of serving God, was using God to get what she wanted from him. And finally that night, she took her hands off and was free for the first time. Then Dr. Gerstner, to this group of college students, young adults who are considering offering themselves up to God, said, now, if this young woman who was so dedicated and so focused 
and had studied to be a missionary for six, eight years, had been keep focusing on this, if she didn't offer herself to God up until that night, do you think you have? You know, all of us struggle with having agendas, <laughs> okay? Let's be honest. We all have our agenda. I've got my agenda. Church planters have an agenda. You come to do this because you might say you're offering yourself to God, but you're also saying, as long as God, this works out this way with this church plant, as long as I'm able to, as long as, so long as, if and when, and Lord, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to make it this way, and you got to make... And I'll tell you this, this is true for all of us, for me as well. Everything I say after that if or that so long is, is what I'm really serving and what I'm offering my life for and just using God to get it. Now, you might be here for the first time coming to church in a long time anywhere or at all, and you're going like, oh, you're just kind of checking out this Christianity thing, and at about this point in this time, about two-thirds of the way through the sermon, you're going like, Christianity, huh, I think I'll pass. <laughs> I want to remain free. Don't fool yourself, okay? Don't fool yourself. Everyone is serving something. Everyone has offered themselves up for something or to something. Whatever you're living for, that's what you're sacrificing for. You are a sacrifice. There is no way around it. You are serving something. You are not free. Now, you might say, oh, at this point in time in my life, I am putting my whole focus on my career and my future and getting the right job and being a noble cause, kind of like this lady did, right? And guess what? You could be serving your career and offering yourselves up to it, and it can put you in misery if that's all you've got, if that's all there is. Or you might say, hey, I'm going to dedicate myself to one other human being. That's what marriage is all about. And you put marriage and everything in front of, and that's whom you're going to serve. And what happens when they're not there, when they fail? When, they fall, when it doesn't work out? Or you might be saying as well, hey, I'm independent of everybody. Okay? I'm not going to give myself over to anyone or anything. I'm going to keep my independence. Guess what you're serving there? Your sense of independence, and you might just die lonely because you will not be open and offer yourself up to anyone or anything in any wholehearted fashion. You're going to have to serve something. You're going to serve someone. You're going to have to give your life up to you offer yourself in one way or another. You belong to someone or to something. There's no way around it. So the question is, why would you ever offer yourself up to God? Why does Paul say that's what we should do? And that's be the power for the Christian life. Okay? And we see that here in this text. And what our opening video, if you happen to be here, said, it's, the mercies of God. He says that, therefore, I urge you 
by the mercies, plural, of God. And it's the first 11 chapters of Romans, and we do not have enough time to go through all of the mercies. He lists, but the fact that while you were sinners, Christ died for you. While you were unlovable, he loved you. While you were unforgivable, he forgave you. When you should not have mercy, he had mercy upon you. He gives up everything for you. Nothing in all creation can condemn you because you have been justified and sanctified and glorified. That is what Paul says in all of these chapters and how he has chosen you and how he used. I mean, it's just mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy. You see, worship is always a relationship with God based on God's mercies. It is not that we come to God just because he's great or big or wonderful or because of his attributes in some generic fashion. We may speak of those and talk of those, but it's always in response to the fact that God has been merciful, that we've experienced his mercy, we have received his grace, we know his truth. He has come to us again and again every day and renews his love for us. He says it to us thousands of times over. In essence, because of his mercies, because of his mercies, God is the one who is infinitely wise and absolutely loving. He's the one who gives when everything else takes. And that is why. That's the power that we have to be able to say, Take my hands off my life, Lord. It's all yours. It comes down to Jesus being the ultimate display of God's mercy. You know, I don't know if you realize this. Jesus is amazing. Here is Jesus who is perfectly attuned with the Father, and yet what he does is he offers himself up freely to God. He takes his hands off of his own life. Do you think Jesus knew what was best? Do you think Jesus kind of had an inside track? You think he couldn't have, you know, hey, I think this is the right. He takes his hands off. In John chapter 10, it says, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. He freely offers his life to the Father to do what it And it's not easy. (laughs) Just study some time as Jesus is in that Garden of Gethsemane, and he's contemplating what's going to happen in just the next few hours. And he is struggling with this himself, to offer himself to God, not my will but thine be done, to the point where it says in the Gospel of Luke, he's sweating drops of blood. Do you understand how excruciating that kind of stress would be? And when he is on the cross and his life is poured out as an offering and his blood, his lifeblood is being spilt from his body, from all the wounds that were on him, he commends and offers again his life to God freely. Why? Out of love for you. He offers his life as the one and for all dying sacrifice so we can offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him. Paul calls this his, then that response, our spiritual worship. Or that word actually isn't spiritual. 
it's um, in that text where it says, for this is your spiritual worship, that word is logikane, and it's, it's like really hard to translate because it's where we get the word logical, but it's not like logical. It's really rational. It's not rational. People use rational, reasonable, logical. It's basically, this is the only, the only response that makes sense for what God has done for us. This is the only thing that makes sense in light of all of God's mercies, is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. So that's what it means to be that living sacrifice. That's the power to be able to do it and see, finally, a few aspects of it. Okay, we're going to go through these quick. First of all, it impacts your whole life. Paul says it is... It impacts your whole life. He says, offer your bodies, and which was rather amazing um, for the uh, Greeks and the Romans around because the body was kind of the thing that you didn't, wasn't great. The spirit was good. And Paul says, no, there's not one aspect of your life God doesn't want. And it's in your body that you actually do things and are active so that you can worship God at work. You can worship God at home in your leisure and everything that you do. It's who you are, where you are, what you're about. It's holistic. Secondly, it transforms you from your inner self. He says, don't have, you know, don't think too highly of yourself and don't, uh, but have a sober judgment in verse three. And what he's really getting at is the fact that as you offer yourself up to God, as you realize God's mercies, you Christians then are transformed so they don't look down on themselves and they don't inflate themselves. They're able to just be themselves. Okay? Christianity does change us from the inside out. It transforms why we do things and what we're about. Oh, there's a lot of people who conform to doing good things in this world, and thank God they're around, that it's not just Christians in this world that are doing good stuff. But why we do it, how we do it, and the transformation from the inside out so that we can do it is what's really the difference. And finally, it's going to make you a servant. We didn't share these verses, but 4 through the end of this part of Romans 12 is going to talk about how everyone has a different gift, whether it's leadership or preaching or gifts of mercy or whatever. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a ministry. Everybody's involved. There is no such thing in Paul's mind or in the early church of a passive Christian who just comes to a worship service to just soak it in and then go home. You have a specific Gift mix from God so that you have a ministry unlike anyone else here, as individual as a snowflake, I guess, as individual as you are, so that there are people here this morning in this fellowship that only you can really touch. And there are people out in our community that only you can truly minister to. You're going to be a servant. So, imagine for a moment, the early church in Acts 2, like we talked about, they offered themselves up to God. They were totally servants to one another. They were transformed from the inside out. They understood the mercies of God. What a difference would that make for us? Now, some of you maybe were raised in a Christian church like I was that you know, kind of talked about this stuff, but kind of never got around to it. And what they, uh, and I don't recall hardly a time, it's like I went to sermon after sermon after sermon, okay, like a lot. And, um, and 
I never was expected to make any response at all, really, just to intellectually assent to a few of the facts of this is true, that's Jesus, yeah, okay, maybe pray, but nothing that said, offer yourselves up to God, put to death the idea that you're kind of in charge and let God be in charge of your life. Now, you might have gone to a church, too, that talked about that stuff and said, yeah, you did it once way back when. It's done, it's over, you're one and done, that's good, now it's good for the rest of your life. Or you might be here new this morning and you go like, wow, I've never heard this stuff about Christianity and I'm not so sure about this stuff, this sounds pretty radical, why would I open myself and offer myself to God and let, take all control off and let him have it? And like I said, remember, you're offering yourself up to someone or to something. You are serving someone or something already. Is there anyone more worthy? Is there anyone more loving? Is there anyone more wise than the one true God who gave up his son for us all? That's the one I want to serve, not just once and offer myself, but continually be that living sacrifice day after day. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Lord God, we are amazed at your goodness and grace and uh, your mercy. We pray for those of us who've never really offered ourselves, we do now. For those, Lord, who did a long time ago but have kind of taken it back time and again, we give ourselves to you now. And Lord, for those who've never been asked, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be received by you, to be accepted by you already, and to offer ourselves to you. All this because of and for the sake of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.